And behold, two of them were going on that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. First thing I want to explain and understand about this particular passage is that how well we perceive the presence of the Lord has nothing to do with how close he is. Do you realize that this is a normative experience for after the resurrection? That is, Jesus, who had been so close to these people, comes and is close to them again and they do not see him. Mary, chapter, chapter 20, John, the Gospel of John. Mary is in the garden. Jesus is talking to her. She thinks he's the gardener. Mary thinks he's the gardener. Says, if you've taken Jesus, tell me where you've laid his body. I, I want to be near him. She was preoccupied with her feelings. And it is somewhat normative that when we are preoccupied with any feeling, it is very difficult to perceive the closeness of Christ. It really is. I talked with, uh, with uh, someone a couple of weeks ago who's going through a real tragedy. And he just kept saying, I can't sense the presence of God. I can't feel his love. And I understood that. He was, there, was, there were all kinds of feelings cascading of, of, of despair and, and separation and isolation. And, and he couldn't sense the closeness of Christ. No, I didn't expect him to. It was very difficult. He was very much like uh, an experience I had uh, with a little girl one time. He was very sick with a very high fever. And I walked into the room and her mother was holding her. And this fever was so high she was hallucinating. You've seen folks do that with a spiked fever. They hallucinate. And she kept crying out for her mother. Mother, mother, where are you? Where are you? And all the time she was in her mother's arms, but she couldn't perceive that her mother was there. Her mother could not have been closer, but she could not perceive that her mother was there. Well, Christ is like that. When we are predisposed or um, when we have a preoccupation with our feelings, it is tough to feel Christ's presence, but that has no bearing on whether or not he's near. The second thing that I want you to recognize is that not only were they preoccupied, and I, and I talk about Mary, and I talk about the two on the road to Emmaus, and I talk about the, the fishermen. Jesus came, stood, stood along the shore, said, hey, you guys catching any fish? You aren't catching any, are you? They didn't know. All the disciples in the boat spent three years with Jesus. Didn't know who he was. Preoccupied with work. Preoccupied with work. These two were preoccupied with their own sense of how things should be. Their whole reading of how the world ought to be. And so they were preoccupied with circumstances. Anytime you get preoccupied with circumstances, feelings, work, anything, you can't recognize Jesus even though you know him. And even though you know where he would be. So, 
Anyhow, the Bible says, though, not just that they can't recognize him. It says in verse 16, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Why was that? Why would Jesus, and this is not a satanic prevention. The, the feeling in the original language is that God has caused this for some reason. Now, why would God cause for them not to be able to recognize Jesus right away? Well, one of the reasons is that there is a proper sequence for every relationship to follow. And if you don't have the proper sequence, the relationship is not healthy. Now, what all of us tend to do when we get someone of great comfort and of great strength is not to develop our own strength, not to develop our own mind. Whenever we get in a tight spot, whenever we are grieving, we go to that person and we cling to them. Which was exactly what Mary was doing when Jesus said, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. So therefore, God did not want them just to look at Jesus. He wanted them to look at Scripture. Do you know how easy it is and how easy it is for churches to prioritize a personal experience of, with Jesus over God's holy word so much that you don't look in God's holy word anymore. All you do is come for the feelings. All you, come, all you do is come for the sense of closeness. And so therefore, God was preventing their eyes from recognizing Jesus until they could get their foundation in Scripture, not in a personal closeness or feeling of personal closeness. Very important. God does the same thing for us. There are some times when we do not recognize God's closeness for a purpose because he wants to do something else in our life before that final relationship with him. When I was, uh, when I got my first church, this is almost 20 years ago now. It'll be 20 years in September. And I was coming down the aisle and I was in the United Methodist Church at that time and I was wearing a robe and I was going, rushing down the aisle, the middle aisle, that's what a preacher did. You would go down the middle aisle and, uh, and the robe was flowing and so on and so forth. My wife, Becky, was in the congregation at that time, had never seen me before in her life. And she said, the moment you turned that corner and came down that middle aisle, God spoke to me as clearly as he has ever spoken to me in my entire life before or after and said, that will be your husband. First time she ever saw me. Now, she never mentioned that to me. I went for a full year without dating her. And when I was transferred to another church, I decided I wanted to go out with her. Even after I went out with her, it was a while before I developed the wow-wows for her. You know what that is? That's where you go, wow, this is a, wow, this is a woman, wow. Now, why had God told her before we ever even had a relationship that we would be married, and it took me a long time after we had a relationship that we would be married? Why? I'll tell you why. I know now. Because Becky, all of her life, had had good friendships with men. As a matter of fact, her best friends had been men. I did not know how to have a friend as a woman. 
All of my relationships with women were romantically inclined. All of them were wow-wows. And so when I dated Becky, when I first dated her or we started going out together, I had no romantic inclinations toward her whatsoever. There was nothing inside. I couldn't figure it out. See? Nothing inside. And then we became friends. And then she became my best friend. And then I got the wow-wows. But it had to happen in sequence so that it would be a healthy relationship. I believe God did that for me. It was tremendously unusual for me. I believe God did that. And so I believe that there will be times in your life when God does things and holds things back so that you can have a proper, healthy sequence in your life. And that's what he was doing with these disciples. Now watch this. He, Jesus comes up and says, what are your, the words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood and stood still looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem unaware of the things that have been happening here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. And then here comes the heartbreaking part. I mean, this is such disappointment. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. And they came saying that he had all, they had also seen a vision of angels and that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then the Bible says, and beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Now what happened there? And why did that happen? Why did God want them to live inside the scriptures before they could recognize him as the ever-living God? Well, one reason was because they wanted a foundation that was so certain to the intellect and not just to the spirit. That during the times of confusion of spirit and during the times when circumstances did not match how you believed they ought to be from God, they could still understand. Do you realize what it is to give an explanation from the prophets and the predictions of the life of Christ and to match every one of those with the life of Jesus? In the Old Testament, there are 300, there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah himself. Now, just taking those prophecies, never mind all of the symbolism of the Old Testament that does not speak directly of the Messiah, but matches the life of Jesus. And the whole Old Testament is revealing the life of Jesus before it's here. 
But just taking those prophecies, I want to give a few uh, to you today that he would have been giving to them. And then matching them with the circumstance of his life. I want to give you that conversation that you don't read in here. This is just a piece of it. First of all, this, these, this comes out of the, the 61 major prophecies, unmistakable prophecies. One in Psalms 41.9 says, Even my close friend is predicting the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Even my close friend. Now when you, when you read that in Hebrew, the Hebrew is the man of my peace. Now in in, the, in, the, in the, the custom of the day, they would greet one another with the kiss, kiss of peace. How did Judas betray Jesus? With the kiss of peace. So even in here, it's how he is betrayed. Even my close friend, the man of my peace, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread. Now this is prophesied 400 years before the Last Supper with Jesus. By the way, all of these prophecies are at least 250 years before Christ was ever born. The reason that we know that is because we have the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament that was made 250 years before Christ. So therefore, more likely there are 450 years to 600 years before Christ was ever born. Okay, it says, Who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Fulfillment, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Now, some of you may say, you've heard Jesus Christ Superstar, and you say, well, I think that Judas wasn't such a bad guy, that he read the Old Testament, and he was playing out the prophecies in the Old Testament. So therefore, of course they would have predictability or or predictive power because Judas was actually reading them and playing them out. Okay, let's take that. Let's wipe out Judas. Let's go to the next level. Let's go to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. In the Old Testament, Zechariah 11.12 and 11.13, it is said, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not... Never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Now this is God speaking in Zechariah in the Old Testament. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. New Testament fulfillment. What are you willing to give me to deliver him to you? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. This is not by his request. This is by their by their decision. Okay? And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and, de- and departed, and they counseled together, and with the money brought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. These are the leaders of Israel. Do you think they were trying to work out the Messiahship for Jesus? Well, you say, I'll tell you what, maybe, you know, they've read all this Old Testament, maybe subconsciously. They were driven to fulfill this prophecy, and they didn't even know about it. Okay, I'll give you that too. Let's go to the next prophecy. About his crucifixion. Psalm 34, 20. 
and he keeps all his bones, none of them is broken. But coming to Jesus, they, when they, he's talking about the Roman centurions. The Roman centurions did not know scripture. They worshiped the Greek gods. They worshiped the emperor. They were not familiar with scripture. When they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So here's a prophecy at least 400 years before the crucifixion that says what is customary will not happen. And those who do not even know what Judaism is fulfill that scripture. Well, you say, I'll tell you what, maybe they heard it from a Jew. Maybe a Jew ran up and said, don't break his leg because scripture says you shouldn't. Okay? And so maybe they were in on it too. Okay? Let me read you another one. This has nothing to do with people, period. From Amos chapter 8, verse 9, talking about the day of the Lord. And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I shall make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Prediction fulfilled. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land. The sixth hour is noon until the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, nature must have read scripture, huh? You hear what I'm saying? What Jesus told those disciples that day was that scripture is not just informational, it is predictive. What you read, you get. Do you know what the chances are? Peter Stoner, who's a mathematician, by the way, a good book to read uh, on this is Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Peter Stoner was a mathematician, mathematician wrote uh, Science Speaks. And he figured the laws of probability, and by the way, this was re- reviewed by the Executive Council of the American Scientific Association, these, these math figures. He reviewed the mathematical probabilities of any one person exactly filling the prophecies of even eight of the 61 major prophecies, let alone the over 300 minor prophecies of the Messiah of the New Testament. You know what the chances were? One in 10 to the 17th power. That's one in 10 with the 17 zeros behind it. Now let me give you an illustration of that because that's hard to grasp. If you were to take the state of Texas and cover the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep and mark one of those silver dollars and put it somewhere in those silver dollars and take a man and blindfold him and say to him, Walk for as long as you want, for as many days, for as many years as you want, and reach down and pick up a silver dollar. What do you think the chances would be that he would pick up that one that was marked? That's about the same chance 
as any one person has of fulfilling even eight of the scriptures of the Old Testament. Let me take you just a little bit further for those of you who like math. For a person to fulfill 48 of the Old Testament scriptures, of the Old Testament predictions and prophecies, it is one to the 10 to the 157th power. Now let me give you an illustration of that. If you were to take, say, electrons, those are little tiny things, okay? You were to take electrons and you were to line them up by the inch and an inch worth of electrons took you at the rate of counting them at 250 per minute. If you would count them nine, uh, 24 hours a day at 250 a minute, it would take you 19 million years to count an inch worth. If you count a cubic inch, it would take you 19 times 19 times 19. And by that time, by the time you got all of those millions and millions and millions of years done, you would have 6.9 to about 10 to the 27th power. Now we're talking about 10 to the 157th power. Turn a guy blindfolded loose in all of those electrons in 100 square miles of space and say, spend five million years out there walking around. And when you stop, the one electron that's marked will be just on the tip of this here, on the thing coming out your head. What do you think the chances of that being? It is unfathomable. And when Jesus lined out all of the prophecies of Scripture that day, and he had fulfilled every one of them exactly, not just the 61, but 331 prophecies about himself. You think they were convinced? I think they were convinced. And so therefore, it is so important for us to know what Scripture is because when we know that Scripture is true, when we live in Scripture, when we watch it come to reality, we know the one truth that will stand us instead no matter what the circumstances, no matter what our feelings. And that is that the reality is not our circumstances, the reality is Scripture. Albert Einstein was not much of a believer because he was preoccupied with science. Anybody preoccupied with anything but the Lord is not much of a believer. He was preoccupied, but he did base all of his calculations on one understanding of the universe, and that was God does not play dice with the universe. The things are here for a reason, and they have an order. And so therefore, God is sovereign. See, now, let me go on with you, because I want to teach you one more thing before we quit. They ran back, and well, first of all, they, they, they asked him to stay there, and he became known to them. They recognized him. In verse 31, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, and then he vanished from their sight. 
And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? It is not only the scriptures that explain the purpose of Jesus Christ. It is the scriptures that explain our purpose. It is the scriptures that when we read them, our hearts will burn within us because they're not just talking about the purpose for one man. The whole world is built for one man. Do you think that a sovereign God makes an entire universe, makes a world that in which probably seven billion people have lived in all of the world and he's only got a plan for one person? I tell you, a sovereign God has a plan for every one of us that cannot be thwarted by sin, even our sin. That plan is always there, always there. When you look at the chances of God speaking to you, when you truly come and listen to him, what are those chances? Are they pretty good? They are excellent. <clears throat> they are excellent. And when they're not there, they're fairly explainable. But when you look at them mathematically, what's, without the explanation of God having a plan for your life, without the explanation of all of us feeling like wanting to know what is our place in this world. When I talk to people at the deepest level, they all have this question to ask. Why was I made? Why am I here? Do I have a purpose that no one else can fulfill? And the answer is, yeah. The answer is, absolutely. That comes out in all kinds of statistics. You know, they did a, they did a, a, a survey of women three years ago, and 99% of the women that they surveyed, now you can't get 99% on a survey of practically anything, but 99% of the women felt like that in order to be made whole personally, they had to contribute something to society. You know what that says? That means that all of us want to have our place, our importance in connection with God's world. And so when we go to that, we need to figure out what God's doing with us. Does he have a place? Is there a place? Well, when you listen to God's word on Sunday morning, which is, all, you know, when I come here, all I've done is read God's word all week and prayed. That's all I've done. What happens? I'll tell you what happens from my standpoint. Every Sunday that I go out there, and I, there I don't go out there every Sunday because I'm praying with folks a lot of Sundays and so on and so forth. But practically every Sunday that I go out and stand in the hall, somebody will come up to me and say, somebody told me about you, didn't, told you about me, didn't they? And I'll say, what are you talking about? They told you what I'm going through, didn't they? Because that's why you preached that sermon. I'll say, no. Now, I've never seen this person before in my life. I don't know what they're going through. But they are absolutely convinced that somebody came to me and tattled on them because God has hit them square flat in the eyes. What is the chance of that? What is the chance of something so personal that you feel like you are the only one that the preacher, and you're mad. You're mad at the preacher because he would use this time just to preach at you. What are the chances of that? I have, pe I have people coming up to me usually 
saying, I wish for one Sunday you'd preach at somebody else. One Sunday you'd preach at somebody else. I have no idea what you all are going through. Absolutely none. The one time I did, I can remember one time when I was very young in the ministry, when I knew about a situation, and I kind of tried to work the sermon to manipulate that situation, and those people got up and walked out of the church and never came back, and they should have. This is no time to speak to individuals. This is a time to pray so fervently that when you open your mouth, the Holy Spirit comes and zings people so personally, it feels like I've been peeking in your windows. And I haven't. I don't know what's going on. It's God. I have told you before, and I will say it again, that periodically someone will come up to me And they will say, you know, when you said this on such and such a Sunday with such and such a sermon, it changed my life. And I'll always grin and say, that's nice. And half the time, I can't remember saying that. So I'll go back and listen to the tape. I never said it. If I didn't say it, where'd they hear it? Straight from God. Only explanation. They are sure that's what I said. I'll go back to them and say, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. I heard it. Listen to the tape. It's not there. That's the Holy Spirit. The truth of scriptures nails us. God has a plan for our lives. And that's exactly why it nails us. Because we live in scripture. Whether we ever want to or not, whether we believe that we've totally messed up our lives or not. I've talked with two people this week. Now, I have not. Now, this is is a little beyond weird. I have not had this kind of conversation with anybody for months. I've been going through this series for a year and a half to two years. And on the Sunday that I'm going to preach about God controlling your circumstances and working out a plan for your life, two people this week who did not know each other come to me individually and say, you know, just now my life is coming together so that I can see where everything fit. I can even see how God used my sin to get me where I am right now because he's got a plan for my life and I finally see it exactly as it is. Two people. That's pretty coincidental, isn't it? Not coincidental at all. I'm not saying this this morning to teeter on your emotions. Quite the opposite. I want you to know factually. I want you to know without a doubt that God has a plan for your life just like he had one for Jesus' life and that scriptures fit you just like they do Jesus. I want you to know that we live in scripture. And that no matter what you've been through or what you're going through right now, God is working out his plan for your life. And I want you to get into scripture. And I want you to say, Holy Spirit, here I am, stretched out. Let me know. And I want you to know he will. You have a place in this world. You have a place in this universe that can't be fulfilled by anybody else. You have a job. You have relationships. You have a relationship with the Lord that no one else can have. He made you for a purpose. 
And he wants you to understand that. So that no matter what your circumstances are or how close you feel to Christ, those scriptures are being lived out in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we know that we can't even begin to understand the truth of the scriptures without you interpreting them for us. Just as Jesus did for the people on the road to Emmaus when they could not recognize him, so too his spirit needs to interpret those scriptures to us so that we can see where we're supposed to be, who we're supposed to be, and our hearts can burn within us because we know you've got a plan for our life. So this morning, Lord, if there is anybody who has not yet yet made a commitment to you, and it would not be unlike you this Sunday when I give all these statistics to bring somebody for the first time who said to themselves, no preacher is going to sway me, I need facts. It would not be beyond you to bring somebody like that this Sunday. I want you to speak, please, to that person's heart and let them say, I will follow Jesus and I will ask him to open up the scriptures to me so that I too may see. Lord, let us all ask for your help in understanding your word so that we can live in your world to your glory and to our purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name.